Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey everybody, Holden here. Because of your support, The Wizard and the Bruiser is about to start getting advertising, which is like a really huge deal for us. And for that, I just want to say thank you. In the meantime, if you could fill out this short survey, it would really, really help us out a lot. All you have to do is go to this website. It's wondery.com forward slash survey. Once again, that's wondery, W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot com forward slash survey. It shouldn't take too much of your time and it'll really, really help us out. Thank you so much for listening and on with the show. Well, howdy, pardoner. It's me, John Wayne. I from the West, old time. Get engines, get oh, them engines. I am um, I'm, uh, I'm Irish, <laughs> and I've got me. Tr- I've got troubles. Where I'm from, the old West, everything's about shitting in open neck wounds. Oh. <laughs> he does love saying that. <laughs> oh, I just like heroin. Oh wait, no, that's uh, that's train spotting. That's, uh, that's Scotland, right? Why are we? Why? Why is this past? of a ultra-violent Old West and random uh, UK citizens. Man, if you haven't heard, if you didn't look at the title of the episode before you hit play, you're probably like, what in the fucking dog's ass are they talking about? I'll tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about Preacher. Oh my god, are you 19 years old and want to read something cool? Are you ready? <laughs> it's my corn reference that I snuck into this episode. Hello everybody, welcome to the Wizard and the Bruiser. I'm your sweating bruiser, Holden McNeely. And I'm your crisp, clean, refreshing mm. wizard, now in spearmint flavor. Oh, mm. that's what that smell is. Put your phone in your mouth and taste me. <laughs> <laughs> and we're here to talk about Garth Ennis's Preacher, and I have to say this one definitely, even though definitely was one that we were excited to uh, do an episode on, it really came from the request of yeah. you guys. We, I don't, I think that I don't think I got a bigger request, a more frequent request than Preacher, and and uh, we couldn't do a Preacher episode without Super Producer Marcus Parks. It's my favorite thing. Ever. There you go. So that's the thing. I mean, if you, I mean, if you literally could find the ancient crystal ley lines between like Brit pop and alternative music and the violent Texas wilderness, you would find Marcus just like sitting there with a lemonade stand. 
<laughs> yeah, no, pre- Preacher is like, with without Preacher, like, this whole thing wouldn't exist. Like, Preacher is the most influential thing on my being that has ever existed in the world. So, so I guess... Yeah, I just want to talk to Marcus about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's so... Okay, well... Well, how about we just start, you know, because usually uh, I feel like a lot of times we start with, like, our personal experience with, with the medium, mm-hmm. right? So how did you discover the pre- uh, Preacher? I was 14 visiting my aunt in Los Angeles. Uh, and was looking through, I uh, walked, and she kind of gave me, like, she lived in Sherman Oaks and gave me free reign to walk around wherever. I found this awesome comic book record store called Green Hell and walked to the back, and I was a big comic book kid, walked to the back and was starting to look through um, issues, like back issues, and I had, like, saw Preacher mentioned in Wizard Magazine. Mm-hmm. Like, I had seen the cover the for the first issue, which is iconic and just amazing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I saw, I found issue, I think it was 21. Uh, it's the second issue issue of the Cassidy origin story oh. uh, and it's just it's got this amazing Glenn Fabry cover of this uh, horrible bog monster witch <laughs> vampire coming out of the swamp uh, and I bought it and none of it made any sense because it was about the troubles yeah. but I still liked it a lot I was like oh uh, this is so for re- the record uh, Preacher 25 has the bog monster it was 25 then yeah uh, Preacher 21 has uh, the all father covering his belly and covered in puke <laughs> Also with that Glenn Fabry panache we all know and love, by which I mean terrifyingly gnarled hands and impeccable coloring. Yes. Bless <laughs> not Well, yeah, I, I took that back to my aunt's uh, apartment and read it. I was like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but this is really cool. I really like it, even though it's like the least preachery preacher issue ever. So I went back to the store and they had, and it made it even cooler because they had the, the first two trades were out by that point mm. and they had them under glass. Uh, and I'm just like, hi, can I get that and gone to Texas? I'm from Texas. Can I, can I get could I get that right there? Because that was back when I had my original accent. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't throw in a yuck. <laughs> and so I took it. Uh, I bought it. Uh, I took it back to my aunt's apartment. I read it. And then I read it again, and then I read it again, and then I went back and I bought the second, and I took that back, read it two more times, went back and got that. Like, that was, like, just a day. Mm. And so, and then that was when I was, like, 14, and so after that, every month, as soon as I got my driver's license, I'd drive an hour to Abilene, uh, which is, like, the nearest town that it was uh, that had a comic book store, and would buy every issue of Preacher every month until issue 66, until, like, I remember, like, I remember the day that the last issue came out. I drove to Abilene and uh, like brought a buddy of mine with me, went and I bought it and I got in the car, like got back in my car and I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I was like, you're just going to have to wait a little bit. He's like, dude, I know. He's like, he's like, he's like go ahead. Cause he wasn't a comic book guy, but he was still my, my, my buddy. You right. know, he's like, dude, I know just go ahead. You know, I'll just smoke a cigarette and stare out the window. Dude, that is, I can't even remember the last time, like the feeling of getting a comic book in your hand and just being and like, not even making it home just yeah. in the car, just being like, I need, at Scalped, Jason Aaron's Scalped was like the last book that really made me feel that way. Yeah. Uh, I was in college. This was around the time I got back into comic books where I had done Watchmen and um, I had done um, 
uh, what was Dark Knight and Preacher was just kind of the next in line for hey <laughs> here's the cool shit you've missed in the past like decade of comic books and I remember uh, we got the first few trades and it was kind of a money thing where I was like oh I just want to have enough money to like get the next one or whatever and I had like a rich neighbor who I like <laughs> got into it got him into it and he just showed up with trades like how many there's nine right nine trades mm-hmm. of that comic Sounds right. he just showed up with trades like five through nine <laughs> and we just sat in my living room and just devoured all of it over the course of like an afternoon and, and evening laughing your ass yeah, off the entire just, time li- yeah Preacher is so it is like it, it's what tweaked my sense of humor into the dark dark that it is now because <laughs> uh, i already had it like i just growing up just I, my family's very dark i come from a kind of weird dark sort of place where just dark humor is just the norm uh but preacher really tweaked it into like a super dark super violent place mm. and got, i actually got to meet garth in his well, I think it was like, what was it, 10 years ago when I, uh, it was the only time I've ever been truly starstruck where I, uh, he was, I was working at Midtown Comics and he was signing comics there. Uh, and I just walked up to him and was like, you just, you thank you. You're you're just uh, you changed everything. I've seen, I've seen it Thank once. You. I've seen it once when we met Les Claypool backstage. That, yeah, I, yeah, I've yeah, never that, seen that, that, like that. But that one, he was like pointing his toe downward and like twisting it into the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was totally no, that. People are like like that. They're like hugely influential on on my life and and just generally like the the things that you know I'm involved in. Like mm-hmm. I, I get I get pretty bashful. I same with with Les Claypool. And mm-hmm. then um, David Cross one time I was kind of like that Because the Mr. Show was such a profound influence to me on sketch comedy I get it, I completely get it um, Did you have an, 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 a relationship with this uh, comic book? Uh, honestly, did- I just I knew it was this huge gap in my, uh, in my comic knowledge And I had read some Garth Ennis Punisher for the first Which is time, fucking mwah. amazing. Oh, so also, <laughs> uh, also with artist Steve Dillon, and mm-hmm. um, so like I was like, shit, I, I just got to read Preacher, and so I just got like some CBR file, giant torrent of it, and just like th- my entire weekend just it was erased. I just was pure tunnel vision, just engrossed in the world that Garth Ennis had laid out in these comics, and uh. And and I was like still a young enough man that I was like primed and ready to receive the wisdom of it. Uh, Going through a lot of the books now, though, I got it like as an older man, I'm just like, oh, this is a guy in his 20s just talking about all the shit he thinks is cool. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. And thinking that like chicken fucking is the height of comedy. (laughs) It's it's pretty funny, though. (laughs) Came the day TC fucked the chicken. (laughs) In front of a poor Cyclops. (laughs) Billy Bob the Cyclops. And and I have read it uh, since, you know, since my senior year of high school. I've read the entire series Mm -hmm. uh, at least once every year since then. Like, Mm -hmm. I just returned to it again and again and again, and I still and there are like still certain things that still make me laugh every single time. It's wildly entertaining. Yeah. Like it, it's just between the look, the basic look of the illustration and just the flow of the of the writing. It's just incredible. It's like, uh, which is funny that it had such a hard time being made in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And now we've actually gotten there and we'll get to that definitely in this episode. Yes. But it's, it, it you know, when I, it was probably the first comic above all those other ones that I was like, oh, this is motherfucking movie or TV show. Like mm-hmm. this is hot. Like this is a, you know, uh, uh, straight up something that I, I feel like is just action packed. Yeah. It's filthy. And, you know, at the time, and I know he was influenced by it too, but Tarantino and mm-hmm. things like that, where, where that was kind of what was going on in cinema. 
cinema. So you're like, oh, when is this getting made? You know, um, and it eventually did, but in you know, in a definitely a different way, which we'll we'll get to. Oh yeah. Uh, so I got a lot to say about. All that. right, we'll get to it, Marcus. <laughs> well, well, I, I think in order to understand Preacher and what it's all about, the, the between the violence, um, the the Hollywood, the, like oh, kind of the shit. John well, Wayne Hollywood I mean, aesthetic, not just, not just the the violence and the humor, but also the heart. I mean, yeah. that, that's that's what that's makes the key. That's what makes Preacher great. Uh, yeah. Is the heart of the book is that it's a love story, yes. is, uh, along with all the rest of these things. Like it's the love story that you want, you know that you that that's what love aspires to. And for every scene story. that made and friendship as well, yeah. For every scene that like, and I'm, I got to get this out of my system, but it was like weird reading it now as a more discerning grown up but like so for every scene where like two characters just go off on a tear on how Bill Hicks fucking knew what was up man <laughs> there's incredibly earnest scenes between uh, Jesse Custer and Tulip that are just like it hit me so hard that it was just so believably written that these are two characters in love with each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right by bringing up that the heart is also super clutch. So let, I think in order to understand preacher, we should talk about the man Garth Ennis and his career leading up to the preacher. Um, and, and that all begins with uh, him being born in January of 1970. He grew up in a Hollywood County down Northern Ireland. There um, is a Hollywood regular Ireland, not where he grew up. <laughs> That's Hollywood with two L's. He grew up in Hollywood, Ireland, Northern Ireland. My mother also grew up known in as Special Ireland. <laughs> my, my mother grew up in Hollywood, Florida. So it's just very, it's just very confusing. I had to give that a double take and look it up. And I was like, okay, that is in Northern Ireland. And he grew up during a time that people refer to as the Troubles in Northern Ireland. Um... And uh, that was essentially a guerrilla war that began in the late 60s between the Protestants and the Catholics. Now, this is immediately a seed we're going to drop here, which is an obsession with um, war and armed forces mm -hmm. mixed with um, an obsession with religion and particularly anti-religion and, and how religious organizations work with like shadow governments to essentially control everything. And um, all of this stuff can be found in the preacher and all of this stuff I think can be traced back oh. to the troubles. I mean, if we talk about the other uh, British authors that we've come up before, like Alan Moore, just it was not a good time amongst the youth in terms of respect for institutions. Yes. Um, and uh, I mean, we've done a lot of research about Garth Ennis and uh, the the town of Hollywood was a few miles outside of Belfast. It was a idyllic coastal town, upper middle class. And uh, even though the political reality of the Troubles was the background noise of his life, it was just something like he talks about how it wasn't directly affecting his life. He, he grew up in a nice, yeah, po like polite, small, t quiet town, mm -hmm. uh, middle class town. Like he was actually fine, you know, but it was still going on during that time. And he was super obsessed with um, 2000 AD, of course, c c c crossover <laughs> <laughs> with how many I mean, how many countless episodes? Uh, Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore. Right. Neil Gaiman was 2000 mm -hmm. AD as well. Right. The, you um, could not. <laughs> look at a comic book and not end up working for one of these. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jamie Hewlett also comes mm -hmm. into play mm -hmm. uh, in this story. Absolutely. Like, yeah, absolutely. 
So he was obsessed with 2000 AD and also Battle Picture Weekly, which is a British war comic magazine with a bunch of stories set mostly in World War II. <laughs> that magazine came out from 75 to 88. He was reading the shit out of that. Um, also, he hated school. And hated <laughs> school. He went to uh, Sullivan Upper School in Hollywood. It was an evangelical Christian school, and he was an outspoken atheist. And actually at that school was when he got his first foray into doing his own comics. If now, uh, there's something you need to know about Ulster evangelical northern uh, Irish uh, Christians, not chill. Not mm. They're chill. not chill. They, you know, just casual blasphemy is not just like a thing that they're like going to just let slide on. Yeah, Super they're not going to laugh at Humper to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, at this time too, he's he's super into comic books, he's super anti-religious, and he's also we're, we're finally seeing comic books grow up with mm -hmm. uh, Watchmen and Dark Knight, which he specifically said, you know, in an interview that I listened to that you tossed over to me that um, was fantastic, where he talked about like those comic books coming out kind of blew his mind to say, oh, comics are like are like more than just kids' stories. Also, at that same time, he started clicking into, oh, this is, you know, these are scripts that are written and then pinned uh, with illustrations. He's trying to understand, like, how that process goes down and created his own comics that was, uh, it was called Sith Ifrica. It was a super dark and violent comic book that he would just wrote for his classmates' amusement. Um, so yeah, he was that. That was kind of his 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 earliest stuff. Um, and then he ended up going on to study English Lit at Queen's University in Belfast, and he drops out in his first year to write for um, a comic publication called Crisis. Now, uh, according to his tale, <clears throat> you know his version of his events is he hated school. He made it to university, realized that university is just more school. And uh, saw that comic books were this emerging art form. There was an explosion of new books, and uh, 2000 AD was kind of, uh, you know, uh, was growing in popularity. Marvel had publications. Like, there was this, you know, it was a comics boom happening in the, uh, in the 80s and 90s. And so he just decided, like, I am going to be a comic writer. I am going to learn about this industry. And when Crisis, uh, the publication... Made, uh, you know, had a tour of comic shops. He actually went to Belfast and, you know, said, "Hey, I want to write for you." And they're like, "What do you got?" And you're like, uh, "You should have something about the Troubles." Like, you know, that's you know, it's present. It's like now. I'm like, you know, you should do that. And they were like, "Shit, that's a really good idea." Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. exactly what we're mm -hmm. looking for. And he said that on his uh, 19th birthday, I believe it, yeah. believe it is, on his 19th birthday, he, on a lark, called them up because he hadn't heard from them. He sent them his pitch for Troubled Souls, and he hadn't heard from them. So he was, like, calling them, feeling, thinking that they're just going to say, no, th thanks, but no thanks. He calls them up. He says, hey, I sent you this pitch for this uh, thing about the Troubles. And they said, uh, oh, yeah, we've been meaning to get back to you on that. We're, we're You know, let's do it, right? <laughs> so he ends up getting to make Troubled Souls. Um, and uh, it's, again, about his, you know, about the Troubles in Northern Ireland. It's um, around this character named Tom Boyd, a young, unemployed Protestant man who is coerced into planting a bomb by the Irish Republican Army, one side of the Troubles. Um, uh, and he gets all swept up in everything. And uh, it was sort of a more serious work. And it was kind of more like uh, something he said in, in, a, in a quote about it that it was kind of... 
what he felt like. I feel like this is kind of what we all do when we first start out. He, it was like what he felt like was what people would want. It wasn't really like mm-hmm. him, him, him personally. It led to more of the humorous, um, you know, heartfelt, violent stuff that we get later. But in, in, in the beginning, it was it was actually very, very straight up and serious. Um, and then he ended up uh, off of that making kind of more his style that we'd come to know, uh, comedy based uh, and set in Belfast comic book series. Uh, there was a spinoff of that called For a Few Troubles More. And it also ran in crisis. And it was about two characters from Troubled Souls named Dougie and, and the very crude Evor. Uh, and it's about like Dougie planning for his wedding. And no one wants him to uh, to make Evor his best man. And he makes Evor his best man. And um, later on, he ended up making a, a different comic series about these two characters called Dicks, where it's yep. them trying to uh, be private eyes. I know all about Dicks. You know about Dicks? Yeah. Did you read any Dicks? I read I read some of it, but I did always get the feeling like I'm missing something here. Like, okay. I, like, not, like too much inside baseball. Yeah, when it comes just to just, just sort of like I don't, I don't know these. I don't really know these characters all that well because I'm you know I'm fucking love Garth Ennis, so I've read most of what he, or at the very least tried to read most of what he's written. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah I just kind of didn't get it. I'm like, all right, that's fine. It's now, what about me. True Faith? I did not read True Faith. Truth Faith seems like the one to check out if you're interested in Garth Ennis's earliest work because that is when he starts doing the anti-religious stuff, right? And it, and he starts doing the comedy-based anti-religious stuff. It's about Nigel Gibson, a torment uh, a kid tormented at school by teachers and the school's Christian student group. Um, he meets this insane man named Terry Adler who uh, has just uh, uh, gone through the death of his wife and he's now crazy and and he has a, started a one-man terrorist campaign against the churches, hoping to draw God out so that he can kill God. Yeah. And this is when we first kind of get the taste <laughs> of this stuff, right? Um, and and on top of that, we have Northern Ireland's Special Air Service getting involved. And Nigel ends up, like, confronting his, his like, bully and everything. Um, it was also ran in crisis. And it was actually collected into graphic novel form, and it was on sale for only two months before it was removed from shelves because of complaints by religious groups. <laughs> so this is actually like his first kind of foray in comic book form into this into this sort of kill God stuff. Uh, and the other half of the preacher of the preacher combo is artist Steve Dillon. Yes, who was uh, who grew up in London mm-hmm. and uh, also at a very young age showed a proclivity for the comic arts and actually started getting paid work working for uh, Hulk Weekly. I yeah, believe Hulk it was. Weekly for Marvel. Comics UK. in the UK are a little bit different. It's kind of closer to the Japanese style where it's about like serialized and shorter stories in like weekly compilations instead of like individual titles so like a lot of marvel books would get repackaged in these weekly digests he also had a strip in high school uh like ennis and it was called the space vampire (laughs) now when you think of steve dillon you think of this very distinctive style these kind of like bulldog faced men and like very like narrow headed Mm -hmm. he has like extremely minimalist very Mm. minimalist but with a clean line and incredibly concise and like legible storytelling Mm. um and uh but his earlier stuff and you know especially his younger stuff uh has a very like adventure like robust uh kind of frazetta-esque like classic adventure comic book style when you think of a comic book style without a style 
Uh, that was Steve Dillon's early work, and it was impeccably rendered, and he had a reputation for working quickly and uh, working with uh, writers on time, and especially his natural storytelling skills would enhance the scripts that he was given. He would add elements. He would kind of, like, wherever he could get more story out of the work he was given. Uh, he introduced... Oh, wait, I can't find the name. Oh, it's real dumb. He invented, like, a space barbarian character for Doctor Who comics <laughs> called, like, the Dalek Killer. <laughs> Marcus, please look up the Dalek Killer Steve Dillon because it's the silliest name. <laughs> but in his early... And com- the most British name, uh, the Dalek Killer. It's... At- Absalom Doc. <laughs> Absalom Doc, the Dalek killer. And it's literally just this Conan looking dude with a sword slicing Daleks in half with like slave bikini princesses being like, oh, thank you, Absalom Doc. <laughs> uh, but he uh, got his start so early in the comics industry and was such like a baseline reliable guy that when this 2000 AD crisis uh, uh, warrior boom happened he was kind of the elder statesman to a lot of these writer guys mm-hmm. including Garth Ennis that uh, they met in 1989 they ended up uh, getting along swimmingly because we should say Garth Ennis um, after True Faith he ends up writing for 2000 AD as well right, right? so uh, he's he, his first thing was a, a time travel comedy called Time Flies mm-hmm. in which a World War II bomber pilot uh, Bertie Sharp is, recu- <laughs> is recruited by a future, a future agent to rescue a man from time pirates. Um, and then uh, he started writing regularly for Judge Dredd. And that is, uh, he actually did a couple of issues with Steve Dillon on Judge Dredd. But apparently they were just kind of buddies at mm. first. Like they just got along. Oh, really Dillon well. had yeah. moved to Belfast uh, during this time as well. Or not Del- uh, Dublin. I'm sorry. Dillon moved to Dublin and uh, Ennis was still in Belfast. So like they would take the train and hang out together. Um, uh, yeah, the dread stuff that they did together is pretty good. Did you actually read Emerald Isle? I've always yeah. wondered what, like, so what is the premise to Emerald Isle? Can't remember. Just remember, I liked it. They went to. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> like, I think it was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but yeah, they had to go back to Ireland for some reason. Um, I can't remember. Judge Dredd goes to Ireland. <laughs> I, I bet something gets shot in the face. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they got along really well. Uh, this is a quote from Garth Ennis um, about uh, his experience with S- uh, Steve Dillon at a party. He said, after everyone else had passed out, we sat up till dawn and killed off a bottle of Jameson, talking about what we wanted to do in comics. Imagine an Irish accent while I say this. Ennis' Irish accent in interviews is, like, really slight. It's, it's pretty yeah. Subtle, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, talking about what we wanted to do in comics, what we thought could be done with them, what the medium was for. I can recall a sort of mutual, oh, yes, you, you're the one, you get it. This was to pay off handsomely in years to come. Um, so, yeah, they, they were really kind of already, like, gelling really hard. And then they started, uh, uh, and then around this time, Ennis starts getting work uh, with U.S. comics. And that is specifically on Hellblazer mm-hmm. and the comedy horror The Demon. His Hellblazer is the best Hellblazer. I th- without, it, without a doubt, the absolute best Hellblazer yeah. storyline. Especially the stuff that Ennis and Dylan did together on Hellblazer. It is the definitive John Constantine. Mm. And so and, All and, I remember is the birthday issue where Swamp Thing comes by and grows a bunch of weed. Yeah, bro. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Also, so, wait, Ennis wrote the uh, story where Constantine gets lung cancer, right? And like dangerous habits. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what the movie was. I think. I, I remember. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot so, of yeah. the movie. The, I'd like the Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. I don't care. Fight me, yeah. everyone. Fight me in the streets about whether or not the Constantine movie was okay. I just could not fi- care less about fighting you about that. <laughs> he did. He did dangerous habits. Uh, he did rake at the gates of hell. Like he was the person who really uh, made John Constantine a 3D character because John Constantine was a, an Alan Moore creation for Swamp Thing yes. right. uh, and was originally written by Jamie uh, Ooh, I can't remember I even, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I can't remember the, the name of the guy who did like the first big run of Hellblazer which is pretty good yeah, yeah. It, it's still really good yeah. but the thing that Garth Ennis is so great at is he doesn't get enough uh, credit for injecting so much humanity into he his character personal and he focused on John Constantine's relationships yeah um, yeah course, with Ki- oh Kit oh and of course there's also <laughs> a, a strong religious theme going on through through a lot of the his run of Hellblazer as well uh, and uh, you know it's, it was it's DC by the way we should say this is DC Vertigo that this is all coming out yeah, on I hope we covered this during the Neil Gaiman uh, episode but it's Karen Berger was an editor at DC that had like a lot of kind of tertiary titles under her watch like Wonder Woman and Amethyst Princess of Gemworld but she believed in all these emerging UK talents and actively courted them and kind of brought them under her wing and uh, under the Vertigo title they allowed uh, these creators that she had brought in to actually tell adult style stories and kind of push the uh, uh, prestige and maturity level of comics that DC was actually getting success with with Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns at that time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, his- that's why all these. That's how all these Britons ended up in. Uh, in America, <laughs> writing about our spooky characters. And they do call it like the comics British Invasion, right? Yeah. And all that good stuff. And we did, I believe, cover that pretty fully in those crossover episodes. Um, and w- one thing we should mention, too, about Hellblazer is there is totally a story in it where a succubus demon, Ellie, and an angel named Tali yeah. uh, uh, have this relationship. And, of course, this story would come back uh, t- uh, in Preacher. And uh, that's kind and of... And has yeah. repeatedly and said that it's not the same. It's no, not the same. It's absolutely not the same because in the end of that storyline, this isn't really a big spoiler because this is just a cool Ennis thing. Mm-hmm. Like at the end of that storyline, like the succubus ends up bringing the angel down into a crypt, ripping out his heart, and then John Constantine comes out and saws off the motherfucker's angel's wings with a chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> it's Constantine with the chainsaw. It's Constantine with the chainsaw. <laughs> Can you believe what you're saying, Jr. <laughs> well, no, it's like it's, there's like legitimate uh, like human relational moments in that book. Like it's not, it's great because it's about like you know demons and hell and all this, but it's also about like Constantine's inability to love <laughs> at the same time, you know. Yeah, uh, and and uh, and also about you know, and, and it's also that's the other thing about Garth Ennis is that like if if Ennis is writing it, you know, there's going to be some Irish in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like they bring in like constant, they bring in uh, Constantine's like this new woman in his life, which is a an Irish woman from Belfast named Kit mm. uh, that he falls in love with, but they have troubles. <laughs> with a capital T, I tell you. <laughs> Wait, are we um, not doing Music Man? But there's, but there's a beautiful issue that's like uh, just about her. It's like after the relationship has kind of gone sour, she goes back home uh, and hasn't and isn't really telling her her sit. Like she goes back home to meet with her sister and her brother. It reminds me a lot 
of uh, that issue of the Invisibles uh, mm. about the guard, uh, where it's just the the issue of the Invisibles just follows this one guard throughout his entire day or throughout his entire life until finally he gets like just killed by the main character. And this is that same sort of thing where it's like just about this woman, but it's a it has nothing to do with demons or angels or any or magic or anything like that. It's just the story of a woman going back home and trying to reconnect with her family, mm. and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, this guy can he can write. Garthen is it's not just horse cock. Uh, <laughs> like you can take that to the bank. Dog welding, horse cocks. Yeah, maybe. But there's a soul in there, goddammit. It's no, he, not just all the Messiah pissing on soldiers. <laughs> there's just an endless amount of examples for preacher. It's just like the fucking shit that happens in that goddamn comic. It's I mean, more than we just didn't even a mention our space. Like we haven't even talked about our space. Listen, there is a soul and the purity there and a truly relatable golden nugget that makes you that reaches out from across the page and touches your heart also a midget fucks a giant meat woman also a midget fucks a giant meat woman stroke shaft say the name so kind of like how Gaiman was given free license to create Sandman uh We've got Ennis here being a huge success with Hellblazer, and they finally say, hey, what do you want to do? You've, you've been a success with the stuff we've thrown at you, so now what do you want to do? And that's when he starts cobbling together the idea for the preacher. And he essentially said it was a work that came out of instinct. It was a work that he just sort of started forming these ideas and throwing them together, and you know, it, it kind of came over time, right? Like, it's sort of like, like um, for example, um, shit, what's the name of the best friend? Uh, Cassidy Cassidy becomes Irish later in time like he he didn't it didn't start like that yeah. you know and 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 you do kind of get that because like, during the writing process he was Irish from day one he was yeah, he was Irish, <laughs> and he got more handsome but he did get more handsome as the book went on because mm-hmm. when he first created when he first decided that uh, Cassidy was going to be Irish he modeled him after Shane McGowan the lead singer of the Pogues ah. who is the ugliest Irishman to ever <laughs> exist <laughs> and that is saying something am I right you filth island <laughs> <laughs> so he starts working with Steve Dillon on this. Uh, they're, you know, heavily collaborative. And the comic book starts coming out, and it's kind of like a lot of other things. And it really felt like this was going to be probably like a flash in the pan, not, you know, didn't necessarily think it would be successful. And really, at first, it wasn't. And this is like what? so many. Despite all those handsome Glenn Fabry covers of <laughs> real gnarled things, like <laughs> a bloody Cassidy face and like a ripped off face and <laughs> just a lot of upsetting well, looking faces. Ripped off faces. I mean, come on. You got to you gotta put a faceless. Uh, They're you know. very up. Upsetting covers, yes. Like they're, well, but they're good enough. Where like I have a collection of just like Glenn Fabry covers because they're so beautiful. Amazing I have looking. never done anything in my life with enough dedication and exacting detail as Glenn Fabry drawing a single human hand. Yeah, <laughs> that is so knobbly. Yeah, <laughs> no hands are that knobbly. <laughs> so weird, weird. I can't look away from them. I was reading Superboy during this time. I was reading fucking. Justice League International, yeah. and there would be an ad for pre- like, oh, and check out Preacher featuring the gnarled faces of terror. 
<laughs> That's all I knew is Preacher was the book with the weird covers. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you gotta if you're listening to this, I know you got you gotta have your phone out or something. Like, pull, just look at the look at these covers for a little bit and marvel. No at. forehead has that many crevasses. <laughs> it's like it's like. Um, but goddamn, he can draw an old man holding a sausage. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes, I will. I will concede that point. It's truly a titan in the old man holding sausage arena. <laughs> and in the very beginning, uh, he talks about this as the time it was like the beginning times of the internet and everything, right? And mm. so, and, in the early phases, like literally were, CompuServe era. Yes, mm. there were people talking about how much they liked it, but there were also then, therefore, immediately people screaming about how they are completely offended by this work, right? Yeah, and that is actually what created. More of oh my god, those knobbly hands, <laughs> and that's tool. That's a tulip like a a, a a classy lady hand. Well, classy, you know, but a murdering lady hand. Uh, she's classy. <laughs> she murders, but she's classy. She went through some hard times after Jesse left her high and dry in Tucson. She true. got back though. It's true, but he had his reasons. <laughs> um, so people are getting like offended, and this of being a and these people speaking about how they're getting offended draws more numbers to start reading it, and all of a sudden in year two, this comic book really starts taking off. A lot um, of comic book stores in Texas. Uh, I, I remember going to a comic book store in Lubbock uh, to try to find the the latest issue, and I asked them, "I was like, hey, do you have the new issue of Preacher?" They're like, "We don't carry that book." <laughs> oh like they, it offended them just that I just that I asked well, for it. So can we talk about? So let's talk about the. the I think we laid the groundwork. Yeah. The setting of Preacher. Like yes. the reality, the world, the universe that uh, Ennis lays out and Steve Dillon like renders into reality. And why it's like perfect for Marcus and why it's like you might as well have just asked Marcus what he well, wanted. He, I mean, then, here's the thing though. It would okay. have just been written. This, this is what I've been begging to ask is, uh, I'm, I, I guess I'll just frame it as, as I see it, is uh, Garth Ennis is this like – Protestant is this evangelical, like suburban kid from Belfast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just listening to well, anti-evangelical. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, he was at age five. He was getting slapped in the face and dragged to church. I assume. <laughs> um, you know, watching cowboy movies as a kid, uh, watching American cartoons, listening to American rock and roll music. Uh, kind of just see, you know, uh, you know, growing up on this small green island and just having this vision of this large, flat, like dry place of brutal violence and like and manliness and just like all these ideas that are just so foreign to him. Even when he made it to America, like he's basically he lives in New York now. He just like him and Steve Dillon basically just hung out in New York a lot. A lot of preacher ends up taking place in New York because that's where Ennis was hanging out at the time, like. Marcus, you're like from flat ass Texas. Like, how does his vision of the world and your actual lived experience of the world gel or like fall apart? It is a miracle how well he captured it. Uh, it, it, it's it, it really like the the desolation of it, and that could also have to something to do with like Steve Dillon's minimalistic artwork. That mm -hmm. it was just kind of a, a coincidence that they captured the desolation, but and the, big the, and broad, yeah. Like like mm -hmm. bi you know, we talked about those big, thick kind of lines and everything. And I feel like yeah. I've been to Texas once, but that's I see that, yeah. 
so yeah. immediately. Well, I mean, yeah, if you don't really know like what what preachers like, it starts off in Texas, like the the whole. I mean, and yeah, J- Jesse Custer. People- yeah, we might want to give people like the <laughs> the, the the plot. I just kind of <laughs> thought synopsis. about that. I was like, okay, look, Jesse Custer. We're gonna get back to this. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. no okay. Jesse I'll, Custer is from a small te- Texas town called Anvil. He gets possessed by a creature named Genesis, which is the infant spawn of an angel and a demon. An angel and demon fuck each other's brains out. Very sexy images, by the mm, way. Incredibly sexy. And then this sexy, creature yeah. comes out of them named Genesis. Um, uh, when Genesis was created, it essentially was a threat to God. God leaves his throne. Uh, when it goes into Jesse, it takes over Jesse um, and gives Jesse the, the the coolest superpower ever, the word of God, um, where he can essentially say anything. And you see it in red in the uh, dialogue in the comic book. And people have to do it, such as count every grain of sand on this beach. Oof. <laughs> Drop uh, your guns. You can stop at three million. Yeah. <laughs> um, go fuck yourself. Be <laughs> yeah, best. That's such a good one. Um, so, anyways, Jesse takes off looking for God with um, his uh, kind of girl. Well, ex girl. You know, they get back together. Tulip and uh, an Irish vampire named Cassidy. Of course, you gotta have an Irish yeah, vampire named Cassidy. Uh, and along the way, they deal with a bunch of different characters, such as this fucked up family from Louis. It's Louisiana family. Yeah. Right. right on the Texas Louisiana border, mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, the the Grail Angelville, ah, yeah. yes, Angelville, mm-hmm. and th- that's a fucked up tr- like that trade. Oh my well, god! Well, okay, yeah. I mean, the, that's uh, until the end of the world. That and might, the family it, portrait, the it happens. And the family re- portrait cover is like the most disturbing. I think of all just the family standing there. Is you so know, scary. fuck it. Like, we're, if we're gonna talk, like we're gonna talk about it. Yeah. it comes around like around issue ten or at nine or ten. It's like fairly early in the run. Uh, you kind of just like a baseline, like road trippy kind of deal. Like they establish that uh, here's Jesse. He has his powers. He has his like estranged ex-girlfriend who is now an assassin, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a trained assassin. Uh, you have Cassidy, who is a hard living Irish vampire. Comic relief. Comic uh-huh. relief. Uh uh, kind of a kind of a yeah less than serious because Jesse is like this er macho like man's man that exists like it's he's literally an avatar for 14 year olds to just like what would a cool guy do no that's what that's what he was for me yeah, like, yeah. like he he really was like because the, the preacher came along at a time that when uh my own dad kind of went away for a little while mm-hmm. so I didn't really have like role models to fight in the cow wars <laughs> <laughs> Different reasons, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he kind of like get like I didn't really have a role model, so like when I was like growing up, like Jesse Custer was my role model. <laughs> like that's who I wanted to be. I wanted to be Jesse Custer. Like that's a like to me, Jesse Custer was like that's to me like that's a good dude. That's mm-hmm. that's exact. That's who I aspire to be. And so it was like preacher was important to me in a lot of different ways. You didn't aspire to be the saint of killers like me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I too want to murder my way. I, I want to hit, get hit by a nuke and then <laughs> gently spit and just go, not enough gun. <laughs> saint of killers, highly influenced by like Clint Eastwood, really mm-hmm. more so than anything yeah. else. So the angel of death of the comic. He's invincible with perfect aiming. Um, it's such a, like, it's, I don't know if it's he been pointed de- that gun like you and me would point a finger <laughs> it's so much better in my head <laughs> and and also and then and then we have Arseface, who is the uh suicidal teenager son of a tried, racist sheriff yeah his face looks like an ass as he tried to blow his brains out and in failed. the style of kurt cobain yeah. directly the, yeah, the 
night after the night the Kirk or the night that Kurt Cobain killed himself, him and his buddy uh, went and uh, tried to follow Kurt Cobain into the afterlife. But instead of putting his the gun in his mouth, he put the gun underneath his chin, mm-hmm. so it just blew the front of his face off. So that was also, I feel like, the first time in a, in a, especially like anything like a comic book, but even really general entertainment media that was really calling out. I feel like the death, the grunge movement, and the death <laughs> of the grunge movement, mm-hmm. and like how kind of ridiculous it all was. I feel like that was the first time I read that in a story. In I mean, like throughout a, the book, like by the end, they literally make our space into a parody of pop culture. Yeah. yeah. Like mm-hmm. the, the idea that he's just this talentless freak that like everyone's like, ha ha, we're laughing at him. But like he thinks he's in on the joke and like we're we've decided him. you're famous. Yeah. 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 Pretty much. Um, so that's kind of the I mean and then the, oh and then the whole grail thing and and uh, air star and the and uh, but the, oh, it's the special angel, needs the Jesus. angel bell arc happens real early and it mm. is a incredibly dark and like moving insane story because before we're dealing with like before you know in the when the when the when the series is set up it's you know angels and demons and like ver and the adelphi and the seraphim and like the saint of killers and all these like larger than life things and these characters are like trouncing around through new york and like going on misadventures and then they finally get into jesse custer's past and what they go into is a terrifyingly like vivid vision of domestic abuse and cultishness and like a a a legit kind of like the, the as as a as a suburban like you know nerd like my vision of like the horror that can lie in like remote rural life yeah that yeah. that like the kind of the kind the of horror that I knew already knew existed that that there's just these pockets of of sadistic despotism because there's just like fucking there's Jody and he'll fucking kill or kick the ass of anybody who's like fights against the way things are mm-hmm. and that's enough that's enough to destroy families destroy worlds uh they bring up the coffin which is one of the most terrifying visions i've ever seen where the family uh uh enforces obedience by putting you in a weighted coffin in a swamp and with nothing but an air tube <sighs> yeah and you emerge a week or a month later covered in your own vomit piss and shit Ugh. and if you don't obey they send you back yeah which uh, cuck crossover? <laughs> Get the kid out of the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> that was from the Castlevania episode. When we yelled about Kid Dracula. <laughs> it's official tagline: Get the kid out of that's the coffin. That's a bit of a reach. I'll take it, but that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Get the kid out of the coffin. Yeah. I mean, and, and at, at the slightest whim, to be sent to the cotton, uh, the coffin, because you called someone a cocksucker. Yeah, you know, like just no, the, these, like just small no, no, little no. authoritarian. The guy things. who killed your dog, like. It, it it like I don't know how Ennis did it, but like those stories like really laid out like the feeling of powerlessness and unfairness that like being young can like can you can feel against like hierarchies and institutions and I know I don't know I know we like killed the energy but like, no no it is I mean incredible because I'm, I'm I'm connecting yeah. with what you're saying so I've got quiet like once uh, until the end of the world comes uh, comes along because before then yeah you're right it, it is like a a romp and mm-hmm. then until the end of the world comes and it turns cinematic all of a sudden yeah uh, it becomes such a bigger story and that's where where the story really gets its heart because that's when he starts building these uh, characters into actual people instead mm-hmm. of just these you know two dimensional violence machines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. two 
three-dimensional violence machines, a great Brit, uh, Britpop band we didn't cover in the Gorillas episode. <laughs> the Gorillas episode, c- 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 crossover. I literally wrote c- 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 crossover like several times. <laughs> and by the way, in my notes, I literally write c- 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 crossover in all caps. First of all, you should know that. And I did it like five times in this yeah. in this uh, in this one because now it's just all starting to connect and come together. And that's not to say the preacher is perfect because there isn't. It's got yeah. some. It's Absolutely, got, it's got some dips. You know, he try, but the one thing that I respect about uh, Garth Ennis is that he just kind of throws whatever against mm-hmm. the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but he does. There are some dips to it. Salvation in particular. But uh, are you talking about when the comic book that is? So like you are so desperate for resolution on the hunt for God and the saint of killers on their tail. And then the comics just like, no, we're going to do walking tall. <laughs> we're just going to make walking tall with Jesse Custer <laughs> and, and uh, an insane meat man named Odin. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it does. I still enjoy it a lot. Right. Like I still enjoy the salvation storyline. Uh, but so it's not a, a perfect book by any means, but it, it's goddamn perfect. It's goddamn close. And as far as like him capturing uh, Texas and capturing that area of the world, I couldn't believe it when I found out that Me he too. was that he was Irish. And person like because when I read it, one of the reasons that I first fell in love with it, particularly, is because like I was reading, I was like, oh, that's where I'm from. That's where because that's Anvil is supposed to be um, is supposed to be located real close to Lubbock, oh. uh, and I grew up real close to Lubbock, just a yeah. couple hours away. Uh, so it's amazing. Like his like and talking about like West Texas and, and all that. Like it, it's it begins where I grew up. And his name is Garth. Garth. Yeah. I mean, can we just throw that out there? Like I couldn't fucking believe. Hell, there's a fucking town right south of Abilene called Annis, <laughs> <laughs> or south of Dallas. Excuse oh, me. So funny, uh, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like. That 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 part of it was completely crazy to me, and then yeah. and then and yeah, ne- never been never been to Texas, never. But he, ca- I mean, there are sometimes when uh, like you read the the dialogue of like Jesse, we're like ah, no one says that, yeah. or like uh, people don't really talk like that. But right. they do. They but he also is able to capture like with Jody and TC, like the small town psycho, the yeah. the isolated pockets of uh, of the South that are uh, absolutely horrifying. Yes, you, you know, like we had those types of people around uh not that anywhere that extent but it's definitely had uh like uh billy bob and Lori, uh the the inbred kids that he knew you knew some cyclopses growing up they weren't cyclopses but they were goddamn close <laughs> jesus like, they were and the inbreeding in this yeah and to get back to uh what the bloodline of jesus uh i mean uh, a lot should, of inbreeding there yeah. should be a preacher like bingo card we could actually <laughs> if you're listening right now and have photoshop open just make a preacher bingo card with like incest inbreeding the catholic church being <laughs> fucked up for no reason <laughs> uh dismemberment castration mm. Peeing, just mm-hmm. just a lot of peeing on yes. things and people and places. Peeing in eyes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there is. It's such a a main. It's it's again. I I I just remember getting so swept up in this world because there's these hot fronts and cold fronts of like scatological immaturity with all of a sudden these rushes of like really human shaking moments and. Uh, if you're if you're if you're if you're a teenager, go read it right now. And if you want to like feel like a teenager again, read it right now. So you can also watch it, right? I think we can get into maybe the whole 
mm-hmm. path to that uh, yeah. of getting. I know for for the longest time, and and we can explain all this too with uh, uh, how this the, uh, the long road of this getting made. We've been. I mean, I heard a million different times that oh, they're making a pilot, they're making a movie, they're do. You know what I'm oh, saying? They even made like an arseface, uh, like scu- not sculpture, but like they did the arseface makeup, mm-hmm. like as a kind of a test in huh. like '99, '98. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Ennis sells the film rights to Electric Entertainment, um, best known for Eight Legged Freaks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I'm so glad it didn't get made this way. Rachel Talali, who uh, crossover directed Tank Girl, uh, <laughs> was set to direct it. She also did uh, Freddy's Dead. Crossover, sort of. We haven't done Nightmare Announcement yet. We will. We will. This is the first time you preceded a crossover. <laughs> They're gonna know it. They're gonna love it when we do it too. It's great. Um, she, uh, he wrote the script for it. It's based on the Gone to Texas arc. What happens again in the specifically in the Gone to Texas arc? Do you it, guys? In uh, uh-huh. Gone Gone to Texas, like it begins with uh, Jesse Custer uh, being possessed uh, by Genesis, and then uh, the two angels. Uh, Fiore and DeBlanc going to Boot Hill to wake up the Saint of Killers ah, to say mm. that he has to go back, go and find <laughs> oh. uh, Jesse Custer uh, so he could get bring Genesis back because uh, Genesis had just escaped from heaven. Uh, and the Jesse Custer, uh, of course, the uh, church blows up and um, Sheriff Root finds that an entire church full of people, uh, full because uh, Jesse Custer had gone to a bar the night before and uh, told everyone everyone secrets, told them all to fuck off. They all died in the church and so uh, this guy Sheriff Root is on the trail of Jesse Custer trying to find out what happened. Uh, There's a confrontation between uh, Jesse Custer, the Santa Killers, and Sheriff Root and Sheriff Root ends up uh, ripping off off his own cock and shoving it up his own ass because Jesse Custer told him go fuck yourself. Right. There it is. Remember when they That's woke- gone to Texas. <laughs> I mean, that was a real good summation. <laughs> Still remember when the Saint of Killers gets woken up and just immediately shoots the first angel in the yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. And the angel's Why? like, I I I made it to heaven. I did everything right. Yeah. I obeyed every rule. What do you call this? Good start. Ah! <laughs> um, so, of course, like everything else with the, uh, surrounding this uh, religious controversy, uh, had this uh, gave this a lot of trouble for them getting backing. Um, Kevin Smith gets involved. This and is USQ Productions. Yeah, I, I didn't realize this. Uh, Kevin Smith. It's in the Wikipedia article uh, says it's like around 1998 that Kevin. Smith has is working on it and trying to sell this to Miramax and uh, one of the Weinstein's. Which one? Hmm. The good one. The yeah. good one. He was trying to sell to Bob Weinstein at Miramax. Okay. Uh, it was it was dropped though. Bob Weinstein like just couldn't understand the character uh, motivation and he just he just didn't get it at all. Um, but uh, in 1999, Kevin Smith releases Dogma, which mm. is also about a renegade, uh, absent god, yeah. and and you know inept angels trying to like you know it's it's about all these things. So it's kind of weird. I don't yeah. know like how deeply one's connected to the other because yeah. uh, you know uh, Kevin's you know Dogma is more about uh, Catholicism, 
but still, that is really too close you to comfort. You know he read the, I mean, their influence yeah. he must wrote, have happened. He wrote the introduction for Gone to Texas, the yeah. Gone to Texas trade. So there you oh, go. okay. Yeah. So uh, the UK-based indie production company Storm Entertainment gets involved with uh, with Electric Entertainment, and they greenlit it for pre-production. Uh, James Marsden was signed on to play Jesse Custer. <laughs> I remember I was very unhappy when I that <laughs> Wait, is that Cyclops? That's Cyclops. <laughs> and it got, and it got let go because of budgetary reasons. Thank God. HBO announces in 2006 that they've commissioned a pilot. Um, with That's plans. everyone's perfect scenario. Everybody yeah. wants their cool comic book to be an HBO show. To an HBO show. And uh, apparently, so it was written by Mark Steven Johnson and Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis was actually the one being like, hey, let's like deviate from the comic. And Mark Steven Johnson was like, no. Every episode will be an issue <laughs> of the comic. And this is, it's going to be a, like a complete direct. I feel like was 06 around the time of like Sin City and stuff. Mm, uh, Sin City was like 0405. The, the film. Yeah, 0405. Great, right? Yeah. So I feel like he's looking at Sin City and being like, all you have to do is just make it direct. Mm. Just boom, boom. It's right there, you know, just like that film. And uh, Garth Ennis and him actually ended up writing some stories that deviate from that. And, and, uh, by the way, Mark Stephen Johnson, known for grumpy old men, which I love. <laughs> I love both that and grumpier old men. Right? <laughs> They're both gr- I, very funny. I think Spoiler alerts for next wrote, week's episode. <laughs> a, a crossover. He also wrote uh, grumpier old men as well. That's great. I love both those movies. I love both of them as well. he also made Ghost Rider. Uh, <laughs> so I'm pretty sure it was a good thing that this ended up also not coming to fruition. Uh, it was eventually abandoned due to its darkness and uh, religious controversy. Mm-hmm. So then we get in 2013 AMC's announcement that they would be shooting a pilot. Essentially, apparently, Seth Rogen told um, uh, who, whatever industry people, he was like, if you get Preacher, I want to know. I want it. The because story I heard that he was at a meeting for a completely different project and just saw a preacher comic mm-hmm. like on the desk and was like, "Whoa, you got the rights to this?" <laughs> or like, "Not yet." It's like, "When you do, call me. Yeah. I want. I'll give me this." He's like, "It's yeah. my favorite comic. I want this." Yeah, and, right? when, and when I heard that AMC, like by this time, I'd been burned enough. And I was like, yeah. yeah, whatever. Fuck this. Call me call me when the pilot airs. Yeah, yeah exactly. And boy, did it. So Seth Hello, Rogen. Marcus. It's uh-huh. me, Jonathan AMC. <laughs> I yeah. did as you commanded. <laughs> good. <laughs> Very good, sir. <laughs> uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg write and direct the pilot, and it goes to series in February of 2014. Now, I have not seen an episode yet. I am so on the fence about giving this show show a shot. Marcus, you're going to keep me on the fence, aren't you? With your prescription of what, what yeah, it is. I'm going to keep you right on the fence, man. <laughs> uh, uh, the the pilot, I fucking loved. Uh, I, I watched the pilot because I was pretty I was pretty excited about it. You know, when I saw the like when I saw the subway ads, I was like, oh, my God, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, I don't even care if it's good or not. It's just so cool to see from like reading about it in Wizard magazine in like 98. Yeah. Almost 20 years later to see like, holy shit, it, it's finally going to fucking happen. They're actually making it. That's so cool. And it also I thought it was like it's cool. Like it, it's a good like cultural point where uh, it says that like we're to a point now where something like Preacher can get made. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, where people are accepting enough of like dark shit yes. uh, that something that Preacher can finally get greenlit. Like but that they, was just heartening you know. They pull the punches at Quite a bit, though, right? Not as much as you'd think. Okay, like not. That's, not, that's the one. Th- yeah. I watched uh, the pilot and I tried to like find the best clips and like get a feel for the series. And the one thing I can definitely tell 
is that uh, Rogan delivers on the scatological, delivers yeah. on like the del- fucked up comedy. He made me laugh with violence many times <laughs> uh, in the pilot. Like that's what I was so surprised about is that the violence was really funny. And I was like, oh, they get it. Yeah. This is so fucking cool. Like they, they really get it. They get what's great about this. And they also had, you know, and like uh, the kid that they got to play, Arseface, was like fucking amazing. Like had it's a lot cool of makeup heart. too. It looks cool. It's great makeup. It doesn't stills. look goofy. Yeah. Uh, like, it looks like it's his goddamn face. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it looks, looks like, like a, an ass. It looks like a big old asshole. <laughs> uh, what about Dominic Cooper as Jesse Custer? He's okay. He's good. Like okay. he, he's good. But that's the thing is that I feel like it took them an entire season to get to Jesse Custer. You okay. know, like and I, and I also uh, throughout like and I immediately um, hated Tulip. In the TV show, right, in the pilot, she looks like, very different. I mean, I, I mean, well, not, they right? like she's exa- yeah, she's a completely different character. You know, it's like, I was kind of afraid uh, with AMC is like what the pro- my biggest problem with the AMC show is that for the longest time it had no heart because I think that's one of the big AMC uh, tropes is everyone's a terrible person. You know, everyone sucks. Uh, nobody here has any heart. No one here has any real, like, sincerity. Uh, so we're just going to make this a, an awful show about awful people. Yeah. Um, and I thought that really missed the point of Preacher quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and they got to that point eventually because I, I watched the first uh, at the pilot episode. I'm like, this is fucking awesome. Uh, Tulip. Really sucks. I don't know why she's teaching children how to build bombs. Uh, I don't really know why she doesn't really seem to give a fuck about anything, and uh, why she just kind of seems, seems like, like a nihilist. In like, the in the in the books, uh, Tulip is definitely like a survivor, like someone who has become the way she is, like because she had to. Yeah. And like in the series, it just seems like she's kind of just a riot girl, like in a lot of well, ways. No, I mean that, that's the uh, fucking. That's what I said when it first came out. Is that like okay? Well, in, in the fucking. Uh, AMC writers rooms like hey so we've got this really well developed character this really rounded character with a great motivations How's about we just fucking throw that away and put Tank Girl in here? <laughs> right. Is that cool with you guys? Like, oh, yeah, I love Tank Girl. Yeah, yeah, let's just put Tank Girl in here. Uh, and, and that's, and that's why I, I felt like that's what they did with Tula, was they, they just turned her into a, a 2D character. And I think that's what they did with a lot of the characters, is that they just there didn't seem to be any depth to anybody or anything. It just seemed to be all surface. Yeah. And I think that really missed the point of Preacher, but it kind of seems like, by the end of the first season, now that we're at the end of the first, mm-hmm. now that the first season and we're about to start the second one, it seems like they have started to flesh these characters out a little bit more, and you're really starting to get actually like get to know these new versions of these characters. Because I didn't want a like shot for shot remake. Right. Like I've read the fucking books. Right. Like I appreciate that. Like Garth Ennis especially wanted to do something different with all this. Right. Like, I appreciate well, he that. He kind of st- took a step back because he yeah. said in in an interview that I heard he you know it was like into like that was his baby back in the day like he doesn't mm. want to have this baby 20 years later like yeah. he wants something you know he wants to kind of step back and just let it be uh grow and with, with with a different crew of people you know well, he's, he's very much just kind of watching the ride well as you were saying like with the hbo show even when he was working on that like he wanted to do something different with the care with the characters and yep. the story and all that uh and they are definitely doing different shit uh they're taking them in some weird directions and in fact i mean there's like for me like there was a like episode like six or seven i was like i 
fucking hate this. <laughs> like, I hate this so much. And there's uh, like there's there's you, one there's again one. this is an audio podcast, but uh, Marcus is making what I would refer to as a Steve Dillon face. <laughs> <laughs> very sour, very sour and stern. And my hands are gnarled, <laughs> gnarled as fuck. Dillon face, uh, Gabri uh, hands, yeah. <laughs> Farbri, Fabri. Yeah, uh, but but there is if you've seen the show and read that like you know which you know uh, action I'm talking about. Then I'm like I fucking hate this so mm. fucking much. Mm. Uh, but by the end of the first season um you kind of get the feeling oh this is preacher preacher uh, shot my dick off yeah. <laughs> do they follow the arcs from the comic like no they they, they no. veer there's definitely the, recurring themes and elements but they veer uh it's not you know well if, they're if, starting to okay uh, it kind of took them the entire season to take they took a real long way around the barn is, to get on the road is saint because now they're on the road is yeah. saint of killers in it yes yeah is uh, kind, but kind of but not really not okay, yet like okay. they, they've kind of told the story of uh of saint of killers like throughout the like there's there's these small uh like uh vignettes, vignettes yeah that kind of shows the story of uh saint of killers what about the grail and her deed that in, has not come in around the season dude. two preview uh, this is where the, this is that where the hope is coming me, back but okay this is where the great hope is the uh, shows by the time this episode airs i think the first episode of the new season will have come out oh wow uh but they are definitely like all the teasers have pointed to uh the grail uh air star uh the saint of killers like actively chasing him down like this is hopefully going to be the preacher that we wanted uh in the first episode and maybe they just had to like it's also there's like a low budget there's like a very low stakes to this well that's the big always been the biggest challenge with Preacher is that yeah Preacher would make an amazing TV show but it would also be an amazingly expensive TV show yeah. to produce I yeah. mean, you don't want of, a Heroes Reborn on our hands <laughs> <laughs> like think just think of all the different sets that you would have to have for a Preacher show how many yeah. different locations mm. you would have to do for like a true shot for shot Preacher remake it would be a, a wildly like expensive a live show. action JoJo's Bizarre Adventure yeah oh <laughs> the, uh, I mean, especially season two. Oh how, boy, how many extras do we need to hire for this scene with the Saint of Killers? <laughs> yeah, which a thousand corpses? <laughs> what do you? The script says choke a hallway with corpses. What does that mean? How do I film this? I'll show you. <laughs> <laughs> Who let this guy on the set? <laughs> and they get into the sorry. <laughs> and they get into the family. Uh, no, not yet. Not, not yet. Not yet. They, See, they that feels like season it's like, two to me. But too. they've gotten into. But they got into like Odin. Uh, Ken Cannon mm. is a huge part of season one. Hmm. Uh, like where it's like you know Jackie King, Earl Haley. Yeah, mm. yeah. Ken Cannon meets is like in uh, Anvil, mm. um, and there's and there's a couple of like new characters that they introduce in there, uh, and they completely they change who like apparently like listening to your favorite podcast. That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University, that's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! 
The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.